that jarring cacophony tells you you're back with the Power of Three podcast. Doctor Who podcast for three middle-aged Doctor Who fans who like the sound of their own voices discuss and enthuse occasionally criticise their favourite long-running popular family TV science fiction adventure programme. My name's David Steele. Hello. This episode we're doing something a little different. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Probably where our Kenny Smith is the editor of Vortex, the monthly magazine released by Big Finish. And as you know, we're a very Big Finish friendly podcast. And as you probably also know, both Tom and I are involved with some other podcasts of our own, or other interests. And I've wanted to do this for a long time. I've wanted to properly talk to Kenny on the podcast about everything that he does for Vortex magazine. So the bulk of this episode is going to be me having a little chat with Kenny about his processes and how he got involved and what he does on Vortex Magazine for Big Finish. And then Kenny's going to talk to Tom about his podcast. And hopefully Tom's going to talk to me about my other podcast. So that's all in the future. But in the meantime, um, it's a lovely sunny day. Happy to be joined by my old mucker, many years, Kenny Smith. Kenny, say hello. Hello. Is that me done? Can I go now? Yeah. No, no, come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. So Kenny, here we are. I'm going to have a little chat about the, the process of you putting yes. Vortex magazine together. Can you first of all tell us, for anyone who doesn't know, what exactly is Vortex magazine? Vortex is the monthly magazine of Big Finish Productions, which previews the upcoming releases and also looks back on the monthly book club range so you can get uh, an old Big Finish release at a bargain price. And it's basically it's previewing with the writers, actors, directors, sound designers, musicians, pretty much most of the people who are involved, and actors as well of course, mm-hmm. chatting about the upcoming releases that are on the way from Big Finish. It's a promotional um, engine, isn't it? But, yeah. I, but I think it's worth saying that the content is generally very good. There was a period when I wasn't an active Big Finish listener, but I still made the point of thinking Vortex up in FB, just because the interview material. Tell us then, how long have you been doing Vortex? I have been doing Vortex since the summer of 2014. Blimey, that's quite a wellness. So tell us then, we have alluded to this in the past on, on one of our other episodes, but tell us then how, how it came about, how you came to be involved in doing it. What's the, the long and winding road right. that led you there? Right, we'll wind back to 2001. Big Finish released the first batch of Paul McGann episodes and I was super enthused by them and it reignited my love of all things Doctor Who. I'd done fanzines through the 90s, Paisley Pattern, the Glasgow Doctor Who, we've done one with my pal Mark called Glyphoron, which is more more of a, it's more science fiction-y stuff and just our own lives as well thrown in there. And then laterally I was doing Universal Exports, a James Bond fanzine, but then it just sort of all dropped away. But then along came Storm Warning and the rest of that season and I was super enthused and started doing fanzines, did the making of it and thoroughly loved it. Mm-hmm. Had a really good reaction, fanzine sold well and ended up having about five or six different print runs. This was the, the finished product. Well, it's called the Maganzine. The Maganzine, of course, with. the Maganzine, yes. And then it mutated. Yes. Then when I did the second issue, I thought it can't really be called the Maganzine because it's got no Megan in it. Uh-huh. So it ended up becoming the finished product, which right. thought it's got to be pun on finish, big finish, yeah. finished, and it was, and we were talking about I still think products. the Maganzine's hilarious. <laughs> I still laugh at the Maganzine, I'm reminded of being punted my copy of the Maganzine yep. back in the day. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it was fun. And from that, did a second issue, and then it stopped when I met my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. Then years later, out came the Lucy Miller series, and I was all enthused again, 
and really restarted doing the fanzine and carried on for another three, four years doing a whole load more issues. Yeah, I'm doing one of my Radio Times covers for it at one point, which was right. That was a, an afternoon well spent. So, tell me now how doing the finished product led you directly to BF themselves then, but I take it they must have been aware that you were doing a, a dedicated fanzine and all that sort of stuff? Oh yeah, I mean I was in touch with people like David Richardson and Nick Briggs and, they, and Jason Hay Gallery and they were very much aware of what I was doing, were very supportive and pointing me in the right direction of you know, where to get people, because they knew what I was doing was basically promoting Big Finish yeah, absolutely. and building up effectively yeah. an archive of interview content as uh-huh. well uh-huh. and old images and stuff that you know I was collating these things without actually realizing that I was yeah. in some ways preserving a part of Doctor Who history yeah and because of that I was asked to do volume two of the big finish companion Richard Dinnick had done volume one right and when that was announced I was a bit oh I wanted to do that what and what is the for the for the unenlightened what is the big finish companion exactly it's a book series that looks at the making of the big finish audios gives you a synopsis of what happens in each play mm-hmm. and gives you some quotes from it uh, bits of continuity trivia recording dates production codes where it was actually recorded when it was recorded all that kind of stuff all the minutiae and things like that that doctor who fans just need yeah. to know yeah okay Cool. So I was asked to do volume two of that and completed that and it was released in January 2013. In fact, I was that virtually finished and my mum passed away so that was a bit of a, a slight delay on it. Going back to the book actually gave me some focus that would help sure. me get through it in 2012 before the book came out in 2013. And then in the summer of 2014, Paul Sprague, who had been doing Vortex, yeah. sadly passed away yeah. very, very suddenly. That was horrible. I'd had an email from him on the morning before he passed away and still got it and getting quite emotional I was thinking about it Paul hadn't been feeling too great and mm-hmm. said that he'd, he'd message me later on and then obviously found out tragically he passed away yeah it was very sudden Paul, Paul used to used to appear in the, the Big Finish podcast with, with Mr Briggs and he was a lovely guy my only direct dealing with him was just a couple of emails on a sort of customer service point of view you know, they would read my emails out in the podcast, and he was lovely. Mr. Briggs used to rib him mercilessly. One thing, it was, it was very difficult at that time for a lot of people who, who'd never actually met him, but felt as if they did know him. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a lovely guy, and he's, he's, he's much missed. Yeah. I remember them actually talking about it on the podcast, and Paul almost complaining that he did Vortex sort of dumped on him as well, mm-hmm. you know, in, in addition. So, I mean... Who, who made the approach then? Who asked you to, to, to well, take that was, over? Or did you approach I, them? Well, or? when Paul had passed away suddenly, I knew that you know, everybody's minds were, were just not on yeah. and things, and, and you know, real life overtook work. Uh-huh. And there's a whole issue dedicated to Paul with people's memories of him, which is, right, is a yeah. very... It's, it's an incredible piece of work, actually, to read it, and the fact that so many people wrote so many lovely things yeah. uh-huh. at such short notice. And I dropped Nick a line and said, look, in the short term, if you want, I'll help you out for a couple of months till we find somebody to do it. And said that would be great, and then ultimately I just got, I think it was David emailed me to do you want to just keep it going, right. uh, and so I have. So, so you've been doing it now for coming up in seven years then. Coming up, for that's seven fantastic. Years. That's a lot of issues. Yeah, it is. I want. I mean, a, a few sort of general sort of questions about how it all works. So, yep. they, do you have a process for each issue? Do you? Is there a part? Well, actually, how far in how far in advance? Say, say an issue is being published in June. Yeah. Right. The June. Let's talk about the June issue that's that's coming out then. Okay. That will presumably ha- be dealing with releases that are coming out in July. Yes. Or, yeah. So how far in advance do you start working on on each issue? Usually, 
I'll Gen- work a month in advance. And, right. and on a general basis, I work. But if I know that if I'm having a summer holiday or something like that, I'll probably start work on it perhaps three months in advance, okay. which can be quite confusing at times. Right. Because, I mean, as we talk, this is the end of April. I'm about to submit the June edition right. in May. So it's sort of, sort of, you're working effectively two months ahead of yourself oh. in terms of releases. So I get, uh, I get a look at the production schedule as to what's coming out and what's scheduled and when. So I then go ahead and have a look at that, see what the content is, what's coming out in that particular month. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you prioritise. There's some things you know that are going to be bigger features. For example, Ninth Doctor stuff, as people have of seen. Of course. Tenth yes. Doctor stuff, that's, you know, that'll get a bigger read mm-hmm. than perhaps something like, say, like the Third Doctor Adventures would now. Yeah. They still, of course they still get covered, and but perhaps it's not in the same, yeah, the same depth as they would. Obviously, Eccleston, Christopher Eccleston coming back is, is a massive deal. Box um, office, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. So then you mentioned they're looking at the release schedule. Do you do you have a constant eye on the release schedule so that you're aware of yep. you know how many thing, how many plates you have to have spinning and yeah. what, what you're going to be having to cover? Because things can change. You know, things can move forward a month. Things can move back a month. Things can come forward several months, as we've seen with the box of delights. Uh-huh. And that means, okay, finger out, right, get onto that one, yeah, uh-huh. and take it from there. So I'll get to, I'll find out from the relevant producers who's written what if it's not been publicly announced, and then get in touch with them because I know most of the, the big Finnish writers now, some of them are actually very good friends, right? And uh, like Matt, Matt Fitton, John Dorney, Andrew Smith, people that are, are good pals. Mm. Um, so I speak with them in a, a regular basis, right. and not just always about worky stuff. And then you know, speak with them. Get, so speak to the always speak to the writers, the core of it, uh-huh. and the producer as well. David will, will give an overview, for example, of Lady Christina or something like that, and give a wee overview and the like the tone and such like of the series. Mm. And then speak to the individual writers, and then depending on the word count that's there, we we'll speak to directors as well, and where possible, try and get an actor because sometimes if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. I mean, that's that's. Kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you. I mean, how much control do you, Kenny, have over what goes in and the content of each issue? I mean, do you can you sort of decide within yourself, right? I want to talk to the writers more of this set, or talking to an actor would be better. Or do you how much control do you have over the content, or do BF themselves dictate to you and say? please don't talk about this or we'd rather you covered this or I mean do, do you pretty much have a free hand when it comes to yep. generating the content? I mean, to be fair when it comes to Big Finish the word dictate is never used it's right. never ever it's very much over the years that you know the guys know me they know that I'm not daft they know that I've you know I'm an experienced journalist of a lot of years of course yeah and very much I know you want what you want I mean I speak as a fan what do I want to know mm. and if I want to know it then I will ask that question and right. it will go in there Right. So there's no, there's never any diktat about you shall not ask about this, you shall not ask about that. I mean, there's because it's because Big Finish is such a happy place. Mm-hmm. Very much, I'm left to get on and do with it. And my judgment, Nick is more than happy with it. If I think something's not right, then don't do it. And right. I cannot think of any occasions when I've been asked to excise anything right, okay. because I know. I mean, we're we're talking about good positive stuff here. We're not sure. here to yeah. to rubbish anyone. We're here, we're here to talk about yeah. Big Finish, the great stuff that's been produced and. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a marketing thing first of all. It's a promotional magazine, but at the same time, I think you're doing. And, I've, and as I said, when, you know, even when I wasn't listening to Big Finish, I was still picking Vortex up from FB because there was regular sort of interview material with people involved in Doctor Who. You know, I wasn't listening to Jago and Lightfoot yet, but I was very interested to hear what you know Christopher Benjamin and, and Trevor had to say about stuff. Yeah. So, when it comes to interview material. What's your sort of level of access to the on-mic talent, as it were? I mean, if you wanted to talk to... I mean, I know 
there's several actors who you know you're on terms with yourself and you'd be able to approach. I mean, do you? You've, I think you've built up a sort of a network by talking to a lot of the actors quite regularly. Very much so. I mean, yeah. there's people, you know, people whose numbers and you know, can send them a text and they'll say, hey, hey, how are you doing? What are you up to? And some of them, because they know they've got to know over the years from, you know, having, having in some cases, Mark Bonner, for example, yes. got first time approached and went through his agent and his agent said, yep, love to talk to you, particularly the fact that we're both Scottish. Yeah. And we found out within about uh, two minutes that he used to live <laughs> just down the road from where I live right now. And when I say down the road, I mean within about a five-minute walk. Amazing. And you know, so we shared some common memories and, and you know, both big football fans. And we were able to have a bit of banter before we actually get down to the interview. Yeah, so what was, what was the first thing you interviewed him about? It was, uh, it was about it was about the introduction to playing the 11 right. in, okay. back in Doom Coalition. Right. And we got on really well. And you know, he said, you know, keep my number. And so you know, text him down again and email yeah. and stuff. And you know, got on really, really well. So does that, does that make it easier then when there's something coming up like the next set of Space 1999, for example, you can yep. just contact Mark straight away yes. and say, can you, you got time to chat a little bit yeah. about this? I mean, you I, could, I can to... text him. I don't need to go through the yeah. agent. He was more than happy for me. Right. And the agent knows that. I'm not looking to stitch him up. I'm yeah. not that kind of journalist. Uh-huh. I mean, I, the, one of the other thing I was sort of wondering about was obviously certain actors, or maybe of a, a sort of, shall we say, a sort of higher profile, like your Billy Pipers or your David Tennant's, or obviously Christopher Eccleston. What's your level of access there? The problem with them is because they're always super, super busy. They're always working. And normally when Big Finish get the interviews for the CD extras, that's at the end of the recording day. Right. And because I'm not there at the recording day, I'm up here in the west of Scotland rather yes. than being down in London or sitting in and the interviews. And, it, and it's very much a case of, if I, if I knew they were coming to Glasgow or something like that, and of course I'd be trying to get uh, a yeah. word and then go along and say hello. It's in terms of, you know, you get an idea of about availability, who's, you know, who's, how things are in advance. I mean, I can always ask in advance and usually told, sorry, it's, it's going to be really hectic. We've got a lot to, to get through today, yeah. which you would completely understand. Yeah. So I've got, but if so, I need I mean, something from them, then, I mean, I'll ask if I can get a, a, like a, an a audio, good, a copy of the audio interview yeah. that they've done. Uh-huh. If there's something in particular I know that I wanted to ask about. Do you make a, a concerted effort not to duplicate anything that might be covered in CD extras? Yes, very much so. I, I right. mean, generally, I don't get the CD extras in advance okay. because I choose not to because that way I've got I can ask my own things, ask my own questions, and get my own you know, mm-hmm. there and then responses. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing I think that, that that is very good about Vortex is you don't get the same sort of chat. That you, it's not it's not like you're reading a, a print out of whatever, say you know one of the writers or one of the actors has said in the CD bonus, there is a good sort of um, a good sort of mix. It does give you much more. I mean, obviously, principally we're a Doctor Who podcast, principally BF's output is, is Doctor Who. I mean, which which of the Doctors have you been able to interview? For Vortex, Colin and Sylvester, mm-hmm. who have been great, because, I mean, Sylvester, I can email, and, and Colin, I can email, and usually reply very quickly. So they're, they're always great for that, and... They know me of, of old, and they know that I'm not not looking for trouble. And yeah, they're, they're going to know by this point you're on side. Oh, very much so. <laughs> I mean, even you know, as I mentioned in a few episodes back, uh, when we were talking about the day I met the doctor and, and just chatting to Peter Davison about property in Scotland and mm-hmm. things like that, and it's it's nice to know you can find, you can talk to them as human beings, not as the doctor, not as an actor, but just just another bloke. Do you still get little fanboy tingles when, well. you're, when you're interviewing? certain members of the cast do you, well i know who it, you're alluding to here no, no, you're no, alluding not, yes no, you I'm are not alluding, you I'm are not alluding, talking about no, sheridan I'm smith i'm not talking about sheridan smith i'm just sort of saying genuinely i mean this is a this is a great job to have this is a great thing to be able to do i mean i yep. 
you know, I still get excited if a member of the Big Finish team or whatever likes one of my tweets or replies to one of my tweets or whatever. You know, I, I, it's it's nice to sort of think, oh right. I mean, do you do you still get that absolute thrill of having one of the doctors or one of the companion actors reply to your emails and stuff? Hundred percent. There's an absolute thrill because you look at your inbox and like, bing, <laughs> and this like, please don't think this is name dropped. Like, bing, there's an email from Bonnie Langford, and she's up for a chat for Vortex, and you think, uh-huh. wow, that's brilliant, and it's so exciting. I I genuinely do have that fanboy thrill every time. Good. Just you know, no matter, you know, who I've met over the years, who I've interviewed, you know. I've met Samantha Fox, you know, for example, in, in the middle of a field of nowhere with Richard E. Grant, and shook, you know, shook hands with them, you know, seconds apart be on a, a film selfie. set. Pre-selfie days, Dave. Yeah, you know, where are we going? And it's still, it's of course, got that fanboy buzz. Yeah. You know, but I've also got my professional head. Do you find that there's um? Do you find you have to keep your fanboy? Or you? I mean, I would, I would hope that after this sort of length of time doing what you've been doing, that you you're quite good at maintaining that sort of discipline for yourself or do you ever have moments where you just sort of go Ugh! I think there's moments afterwards when you know you've chatted somebody and just think wow I've just I've just been having an interview with whoever it may I mean, re- recently I got an interview with when I was doing the preview for the Rory box set the Lone Centurion with Arthur Darville and there was a real like oh my god I've just spoken to Arthur Darvill talking like this is a this is a, one of the companions of a 21st century doctor yeah. and he's been on my screen chatting with me one to one and it's quite incredible and it well, got to the point yeah, where my daughter Katie came in because she knew I was chatting to him because she met uh, Karen Gillan <laughs> when course, she was yes, tiny that's right, so she yeah. wanted to come in and say hello so she could yeah. say she said hello Complete to Mr and Mrs Pond yeah brilliant you told me before obviously how you you didn't view Tom Baker so. How many of your interviews are, say, direct one-to-one, or how many of them are they old, you know, firing off a list of questions? Do you do you have a preferred way of doing it? I prefer talking to people, but sometimes, for convenience sake, right. email will work best. Uh-huh. But by and large, you know, if it's somebody like Matt Fitton, John Dorney, Guy Adams, people like that, then I will usually just chat to them right. on the phone, because usually there's two or three things that we can cover. For the, rather than them have to spend time typing it out, it's a lot quicker just to have a... Chat. A twenty-minute yeah. chat rather than spend forty so, odd minutes I mean, typing. How, so someone like Mr. Dorney then hashtag Dorney delivers. Do you do you talk to him regularly enough that you don't have to say stockpile anything? Yeah, that's easy you, enough. You know, I mean, right. usually because we, we always we always like a chat anyway about what we've been up to and what mm-hmm. we've been doing and what we've got coming up and, and real life stuff as well. You know, just yeah. um, things that are going on. So yeah, we always have have the bants. What's the hardest part about Vortex? Is, or is there anything that's particularly difficult? Or what's the What's the most work? Is it coming up with the punning headlines? Is it <laughs> Somet- get, sometimes is it I can letters up- page together, or how does how does that all sort letters of work? page is usually quite quite easily done. I just get four, maybe five letters. In fact, I've got the one for the June issue was done this morning. I got the replies from Nick, so that's all ready. So by the time you hear this, you'll probably have read them. Uh, we've got what is the hardest part? Headlines are usually quite good fun because I've. My mind just automatically goes for stuff. I, uh, I must be said, listeners, there have been times when Kenny has said, has texted me and said, oh, oh, just you wait. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I've been able to guess a few of them, haven't I? Over yes, some of the headlines. Have. I think Cool Reunion was quite, was one that I was quite, because I remember on Twitter, Simon Hodges sort of being, and I said, I know him very well, Simon, of course. <laughs> so yeah, t- I mean, we mentioned the letters page there. I mean, do you have a steady stream of oh yeah, there's usually 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 three or four letters come in or every month, and there's uh, I mean usually there sometimes they tend to be. Have you ever thought about getting 
so-and-so as a, as a CUE student think, actually, that's quite a good idea. And right. sadly, the, you know, the, pro the proven and practical mm -hmm. due to Bigfoot trying to get the contacts and and it's just, as Nick says, they're just, perhaps it might just be too much. Mm -hmm. But generally, it's... Dave Morrissey. We want Dave Morrissey. We want a box set of Jackson Lake. That's what we want. Sorry, they didn't hear something there. <laughs> Usually that's, you know, they come in, they can ask, sort of, you know, saying, you know, I really enjoyed so-and-so and what a great release it was, which is really nice when you get the feedback and you find out so many people like so many different things. Right, okay. Yeah. And it's Interesting. And things, you know, some things that, you know, I thought, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. And some people absolutely love it. And the things that I've absolutely loved and other people have gone, oh, yeah, it was all right. How much of the balance of the mail that you get is about Doctor Who versus some of the other stuff that they have it's probably for? about It's probably about 85% Doctor Who and right. Torchwood. Interesting. And the rest of it's you know, okay. regarding other things. Space 1999's had a good bit of mail, which right. is great. So it's obviously there was a big Anderson fan base out there. Of course, yeah. So it's been good to do. Yeah. Do you have any say in the... The design of the magazine, the layout of it all. Do you have anything to do with that at all? No, nope, that's all down to Mark Plasto, who's a genius. Right. Mark is an absolute genius. Words are words can be quite boring if you just look at them on a page, mm -hmm. but then you look at what Mark does with them and just makes it sing. He absolutely makes my words come alive, <laughs> and I think he's very much an unsung hero. And people should be following him on Twitter at sugary t t e a not t w -E, or the letter t at sugary t. And he's just brilliant, and he's such a nice guy as well. He's just so laid back and so modest as well. As he came up with a rather brilliant punning headline for one of the unit box sets, in it, when it's the one with the Warren in it, okay. and the headline was "Uh oh, we're in trouble." <laughs> a little reference to shampoo. Amazing. And Mark and Mark came up with that. I and I was I just thought that's genius. I would have thought that would have been one of yours. No, it wasn't mine at all. And I made sure that he got full credit for it. And he's like, you didn't have to right. do that. And he's like, nah, full credit what it's due, mate. Full I credit what it's due. Do you have any kind of liaise as far as the layout and design and do you if Sometimes, there's maybe if there's maybe going to be a, a pull out quote or something, do you sort of nominate that or do you No, that's usually Mark. Mark's right. judgment is great. I mean there's one we did I think it was one we did the eleventh Doctor Chronicles a wee while ago. And I suggested the headline was Matt finished it. We could perhaps have a paint pot, you know, looking like a tin of paint. So obviously it's Matt Smith and it's yes. big finish. So, yes. uh, well, obviously it wasn't Matt Smith. It was Jake Dudman doing uh -huh. Matt Smith's era. And that was a suggestion and it, made, it just made it look brilliant. Far better than I did envisage in my mind's eye. So right. that's the thing. But generally I, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell him what to do. He knows he's brilliant. He's absolutely okay. brilliant. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I know in the past you, you, you quite often tweet about you know i've written an article that's this many words and i have to get it down <laughs> this many words do you do you sometimes wish that you had more pages that, or that they used a smaller type or that you know you maybe had got oh. a bit more room do you find it do you find it sometimes you have too much yeah for the room? always have too much because i overwrite but that's my own fault because i ask too many questions but one of the things is if you're writing something for example this is from my newspaper days I've written a 350-word news story, and then you've had adverts drop or something like that, and then you've suddenly got another half page to film, right. and you're thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? Sure. But on these occasions, if you've written too much text for a feature, or you can take a news story and you can make it into an extended feature, so you can take your, you've got your 350 words, you can, you know, if you've got more, then you can make it up to 700 words, and there you go, you've got a couple of pages covered or, or whatever more. You always, I always get more words than I need. And I'd far rather have too many than too few because if you're struggling, then you really do need something to fill it. But not yeah. with Vortex. I mean, I, to be honest, I do quite like cutting my own material down because I think it's a good challenge. 
in editing your own work as in what is flabby, what's superfluous, you know, what can be cut. And the good thing is it's all there for the future if it should ever be needed for a future Big Finish companion. Of course. Are there any more of those in the works? Is, is that's obviously quite a while then since the second one came out. <clears throat> uh, Nick has said that more are planned, so that's yeah. that's fantastic. I cool. would of course love to be involved. Good. Well, I hope so. Hope that happens. Just imagine. Yeah, just I mean, imagine. Just just to kind of go back later, just what we're sort of saying about I mean, earlier on we touched on Christopher Eccleston coming back, you know, which is insane. Still can't believe it's happening. Watched the video again the other day when he was answering the questions, unbelievable. I mean, what do you think is the biggest sort of Doctor Who related story that you've had to cover since doing Vortex? Is it is it DT coming back? I mean, is I'd, it Catherine yeah. coming back? Is it is it Eccles? Do you think they all they all stand comparison? I've been lucky that I've been able to chronicle these. Um, and really, it's this is where I, I just think I just wish Paul had been here for this because the work that he put in, and he, I mean, Paul Sprague deserved to be doing these things for the work that he did. And he's, I mean, to me, Vortex is still his baby, and I'm just keeping the seat warm. Right. Paul. And, it's, yeah. and I always think every time I open a new file and you know, start work on the next Vortex, I always you know, just have a wee, a wee minute just to think of Paul every single month. And it is very much Paul's thing. I genuinely am so sad that he's not able to, to see these because he was such a great guy. Yeah. Things carry on. You know, I've got to, I've yeah. got to be realistic and you know, try and keep the headlines of bad puns that Paul and I would have loved yeah. and keep things going. So I mean, I've been lucky enough to chronicle the things like the new adventures being adapted, um, and you know, things like you know Torchwood arriving at Big Finish and all these things. Yeah. So I've been very lucky to cover this period and long may it continue. I've really enjoyed doing the initial 10th Doctor announcement because I got to do you know, here's the 10 Big Finish stories you might enjoy if you like this and oh that yeah kind I remember I remember I I remember being asked for some suggestions. Yeah. For that, actually, yeah. And I didn't tell you why. I just said, <laughs> I just asked you, what's some big Finnish stories you would like? Because obviously I can't tell you of in course. advance as to why I'm doing things. And you probably can guess these days, but I generally, I never, never spill the beans on anything in advance. Yeah. How far in advance do you get the, the big news? I mean, something like, do you, I mean, do you often have an idea that stuff's going on? Or, or, yeah. or are you, are you... For reasons of tact, unable to answer this question. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes I mean, Nick will let me know if you know if there's something coming up, just if, if I should be aware of. Right. But I had no idea about Eccleston. I had not got a clue that that was coming. I mean, that was embargoed. There was a news release coming that was released. I think it was released to the ma- to the main media on the Friday, which was embargoed until the Sunday. Right. And I hadn't a clue what it was. Right. Nobody would tell me. I, I didn't want to push. Because if, if there's something that I'm, if I've not been told something, then there's a real reason for it. Sure. And obviously they didn't want it to leak because it is massive, and we didn't want to. Uh, oh yeah, because I remember, I remember when the information that, that Sir John Hart was going to be recording for them as the yep. Doctor. I mean, it seemed like no one knew about that. Mm. I remember seeing some reactions from folk on Twitter, sort of thinking, "God, you didn't know? That's insane." <laughs> yep. So I mean, I, I guess they must work under quite a lot of you know, secrecy at times with with what we're dealing with. I mean, I suppose that's to get maximum impact when the information is sort of... Absolutely. It's all, yeah. you know, media stuff because Big Finish is, does good traffic. I know from my time working in the newspapers that the Daily Mirror have got, even got a Big Finish news tag. Interesting. There's such a thing because there's that there's that amount of interest in, yeah. in Big Finish and what they do. Back in the day, I got mentioned of John Hurt coming back and got that into the record, the Daily Scottish Daily Record and the Daily Mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, features on Terrahawks and Jeremy Hitchin. And that was all through my big Finnish associations and you know taking it to the to the mass media. Yeah. Who would you most like to be able to interview for Vortex? I don't mean that in a sort of 
vague metaphysical sense yeah. of yeah, you know, here's your direct line to William Hartnell. What ten <laughs> questions you ask him? Out the the current big Finnish yeah. talent, who would you love to be on a Zoom chat with? Or what's well, going on? I'll give you two answers for this one. Number one will be David Tennant because I think the bizarre thing is we seem to have a few people in common who we've known over the years. That I think his mum and dad came to my mum's friend Margaret's house one night and they ended up playing the piano, or they're all singing around the piano in the Williamson's house and I think my mum and dad were there that night as well so it's just you know something silly as that but I mean the thing that I really want to know is did he go to either of the Paisley conventions that JNT <laughs> did in the 90s that's not my real big question for, but no I'd love to interview David Tennant as he's always very laid back chatty and seems like just a, such a genuinely nice fella mm. and in terms of the second one I would love to have a Zoom chat with Sheridan Smith. <laughs> I was thinking you'd say Christopher Eccleston because he's, you know, it's the hot topic at the moment. Have you interviewed, you must have interviewed Sheridan. I have surely. interviewed Sheridan. <laughs> that was... Oh, you should see the grin. Oh, yeah. You should see the grin on this boy's was... face, ladies Mate, and gentlemen. I've still got the audio recording of it. <laughs> yeah, I did, uh, did that. That was fixed up by Nick Briggs because I knew the Further Adventures of Lucy Miller was coming up and he said, well, come down to the studio if you want, but I just couldn't get the time because of, right. I just, because of my job. I wasn't able to get the time to match up because of office deadlines and such sure. like, yeah. so I couldn't go down, which was really bad. But Nick, um, <laughs> Nick got her on because my phone went. And uh, hi Kenny, it's Nick. I've got somebody here who'd like to talk to you. And he's like, hi Kenny, it was Sheridan. And uh, oh, yes, listeners, he's, he's he's glowing. Oh yes, absolutely. He's so um, at the moment. and it was great. And uh, I made her cry during the interview as well. So that was good. And the oh. tears of joy when I was telling just how how her work had Lucy um, Bleeding Miller. Yeah, and it wasn't actually Lucy Bleeding Miller that I was talking about at the time, specifically. It was just some of her other work. But yeah, I'd love cool. to get a Zoom chat with Sheridan. Cool. I will be fully clothed. Yes. Keep your hands where you can see them. Don't at put, all times. Don't put at that all in. times. Awesome. <laughs> right, well, thank you, Kenny. So I'm now going to hand the baton over to Kenny now, because Kenny's going to talk to our Tom Harris about his new podcast endeavour, The Imposter. Yeah. Now, if you listen here, the sound quality is going to change a little bit because we're going to go all wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. So, Tom, when did you first start podcasting? I believe that you were, they're all politically related to begin with for you. I was the first MP to start a podcast. I did one in conjunction with another colleague called Jamie Reid, who was the MP for Copeland at the time. I had started a blog. I wasn't the first MP to start a blog. Tom Watson was that. But my, my blog was quite successful. Got a lot of visitors, won a lot of awards. Uh, and I, I wanted, I was interested in kind of expanding that. And I did think about some kind of internet radio station idea that would promote the Labour Party. And then Jamie got in touch. He was interested in doing something similar. So we decided to start off with a podcast. So we called it Two Men in a Pod. It was more or less weekly. And we just used to talk about, usually about PMQs because we recorded on a Wednesday various bits of gossip from the Commons and the Labour Party. And we did that for a few years off and on. And then that led into another kind of spin-off when I, because I'm interested in movies and I used to interview MPs about their desert island flicks. You know, which DVDs would they take to the, a desert island if they were washed up on a desert island? So that was good fun, basically. Just uh, I, the, the aim behind it was to try to convince anyone listening that MPs are normal people that aren't just completely obsessed with politics that they have interest the same as ordinary people as well and then of course you doing power of three as well which is Indeed. slightly more laid back most of the time until we talk about sylvester mccoy well but then of course more recently you've begun doing the imposter so yeah. what was the whole genesis for that i believe that was inspired by a doctor who podcaster 
It, it was. I mean, I've been thinking vaguely about doing something political for a while, but I, I didn't want to do it particularly soon after leaving the Commons. You know, I wanted there to be a kind of buffer zone, a, a safe period where I could you know, safely go back and talk about politics once once the distance had, had grown. So I'd started vaguely thinking about it, partly because we were doing Power of Three and I was enjoying doing it and I thought I'd like to do something political. And then I listened to Toby Haydock's podcast series and I was intrigued by that because I love listening to Toby. He's got a great broadcasting voice. But what attracted me was that he was talking about Doctor Who and, of course, his obsession with Doctor Who, but he was he was making it very relatable by talking about his childhood, about the you know, occasions when he was on holiday and he would buy Doctor Who magazine or he'd buy Radio Times. And, and I was listening to it thinking, gosh, I remember that issue or I remember doing something similar when I was on holiday with my parents. He just was able to kind of, you know, tell a story and take you along with them. I think that's a really valuable way of telling a story. And immediately I thought I could maybe have a go at doing something similar to that, with, but with politics. And that same day I recorded a two-minute trailer and put it up and The Imposter was born. The, the title The Imposter would have been the title of my autobiography if I'd been successful or famous enough to actually have an autobiography. But it's quite a good title for the podcast because it does kind of speak to my inner insecurity that I've always kind of had to deal with throughout my career. It's very raw in places and it feels almost at times as if as if we're listening to your inner workings of your head with all the doubts, things that there are that exist. And it's very, very much a human podcast. And it's, it must be quite difficult to do at times. I think it's only possible to do because I'm out of politics and I've no intention of going back. I think if, you know, if I was one of these people who, who lost their seat and then wanted to get back in immediately, then there's no way I would commit any of this to the public record. But the fact is, I don't see the point in doing it unless I'm being honest. To a point, you know, there are some conversations that I had with people over the years that just will never see the light of day. But as far as the kind of narrative of my time in politics is concerned, I've tried to be as absolutely honest as I could because I think there are, I'm guessing here, my instinct tells me there's a lot of people out there who have some of the same misgivings and the same insecurities that I had uh, when I was a politician. And it would be nice to be able to convey the sense to them that they don't have to stop you. You know, that everyone has those insecurities. Some people are just better at hiding them than others, but everyone has them. Tony Blair had them and it didn't stop them and, it sh and they shouldn't stop anyone. And as I say, I think you do have to be honest. I think Carolyn listens to some of them and, and, and says to me, are you sure you wanted to say that? To which my answer is, yeah, you know, maybe I wish I didn't have to say that. Maybe I wish that that hadn't happened that way. Or I wish my own personal judgment had been better at that time. But the fact is, you know, these things happened and, and I need to take responsibility for them and talk about them as honestly as I possibly can. What's been the most difficult one to talk about so far? It was quite difficult revisiting the time when my mum died. There was a story about uh, she was in hospital when we were having our older boy christened down in the Commons and she couldn't come because she was ill. And I phoned up the hospital to ask them to put the television on in her ward just at five minutes to 12 because I was about to appear on Prime Minister's Questions. I had number one spot on Prime Minister's Questions that day. And she was delighted. She was over the moon. And, and that you know, talking about a parent's death is always is quite difficult. I didn't go into any detail about when she actually died, but that was the kind of last nice story I kind of have of her before she got really ill 
uh, and she died of cancer a couple of months later. Um, the the period just before that, when I when I had to fight tooth and nail for my reselection, was just such a horrible period. Just just awful because it coincided with Carolyn being you know very very heavily pregnant and having to use crutches to get around because she had sciatica. The baby was lying on the sciatic nerve and she could hardly walk or move without agony, and yet. We were so under pressure from my opponents in the constituency that she she felt she obliged to hobble literally hobble along to a branch meeting to cast a vote for me in the the reselection process and and I felt very resentful at the time that she felt that she had to do that. It reminded me of a horrible time and that a lot of the people in the Labour Party and in all parties, you know, not only did they not have your best interests at heart necessarily, they were also profoundly bad people. And I don't particularly want to remember that, but it happened and it's a fact. So you, you, I just had to be as honest as I could in, in relating that. And what's been the happiest one you've had so far? I think the episode where I won the selection that night, uh, 14th of September 2000, was, you know, at that point, my greatest achievement politically. I, I won it hands down. I, I, I won a five candidate contest with 62% of the votes on the first round after a lot of work. I mean, you know, just obsessive hard work to try to get that nomination. And when Carl and I came home that night and uh, had opened up a bottle of champagne, that for me was bliss. It was just perfect bliss. What sort of reaction have you had so far from former colleagues, perhaps people who are still involved in politics and indeed general public? The general Reaction has been very positive, and, and that's across different parties. I mean, one, one of my fans is Stuart MacDonald, the uh, SNP MP who beat me in 2015, who I've always stayed friendly with, actually. And, and I intend to have him on as a guest at some point, because I think when I, when I either before I finish the narrative of my own political journey, or maybe after I finish that, I intend to interview a few sitting MPs, maybe other former MPs, to ask them to relate their similar experiences, uh, you know, of becoming a candidate and fighting campaigns. And Stuart is, is one of the first ones I'd want to get on. But in general, yeah, people are enjoying it. I think one of the, this is damning with faint praise, but one of its attractions is it's only about 15 minutes long. I think sometimes when you listen to a podcast and you look at it, you think, oh God, an hour and 10 minutes, you think, can I be bothered? It's, like, it's a bit like when you're looking for a book to read, you know, do you want to pick up the 700 page, you know, doorstop or, or do you want to read a quick 200 page thriller? So this is the, this is the 200 page thriller. So I think that's gone down well that way. And how has it felt for you personally just to be able to finally get it all out there? Yeah, it's very satisfying. I mean, I think it's far more satisfying knowing that it's actually quite popular and it's there's a lot of people downloading it. So that's, that helps. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't have any scores to settle as such, so it's not that kind of podcast. But uh, and I don't really feel I have to draw a line under my parliamentary career because I did that some time ago. But I just think there's a lot of stuff that happened to me, and that I had a, a, a privileged seat to watch certain events. And I think there's stuff happens in all of our lives that is interesting and would be interesting to a wider audience, which is the whole point of social media and the, the growth of podcasting and even Twitter, etc. Ordinary stories are of interest to other people. And I just think a no-holds-barred, honest account of a political career from the, even before I was a member of the Labour Party until after I was a member of the Labour Party in 2018, you know, that's 
a narrative and a story arc that a lot of people will be interested in. You know, I mean, why not? Look at kind of the things that happen. I haven't yet got on to the expenses scandal of 2009, which was a horror show, but which I need to be honest about, you know, but Labour's defeat in the 2010 election, my own personal attempt to try to topple Gordon Brown, Ed Miliband's election, the Scottish independence referendum, the 2015 general election. I mean, this all of this should have an 18 certificate. It's bloody awful. But, you know, there's some interesting stories. And for those who haven't heard it, where can you find The Imposter? You can find it on all of the main podcasting platforms. Just do a search for Tom Harris, The Imposter. There's also a Facebook page. And I post a number of links to new episodes on my Twitter account, Mr. TC Harris. So Tom, over to you to talk to Dave about his podcast. I will do so now. Dave, how are you? I'm good, Tom. I'm very good. All the better for seeing you. How are you? I'm extremely well. I am good. here. I am here to ask you about your extracurricular podcasting activities. <laughs> we all have them. You, me, and, and Kenny. Yes. Obviously, we we well, we met through the Power of Three Pod. Uh, we we did. didn't know we didn't know each other before then. So it's interesting to learn that you've got other interests. So tell me what your other podcast is. My other podcast, which I do with my friend Peter Watson is called The Earth 2 Podcast. And it's a podcast that focuses on DC Comics, published sort of mainly between the the early 1960s and the mid-1980s. That's quite niche. Now, for the the sake of people that are not familiar with Earth 2, we should explain that it's not not another way of saying Earth as well. (laughs) Yes, it's not (laughs) Earth also. It's, (laughs) It's not also about Earth. And it's not... It's not about this new cryptocurrency that we keep getting followed by accounts related to on our, our Twitter account. I have to do some, some deep dive terminology stuff here. It's, a, it's basically superhero comics were first published sort of circa during World War II, um, the boom period initially for, for superhero comics. And this came to be known as the Golden Age because it was, you know, when Superman was first published, the Human Torch was first published. Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, all that. And then after the war ended, there was a sort of change in, in sort of fashion and superhero comics kind of fell away from popularity for a while. Then in the mid-50s, DC Comics published a new version of The Flash in a comic called Showcase, which was a sort of tryout book DC was doing to try out new ideas. So they had, they had firefighters, they had frogmen, they had a new, this new version of a, a superhero, the same name, but not the same stylings, similar powers as a a character that had been published in the previous decade. And this new version of Flash did very well. So they followed that up with a new version of Green Lantern. Same name, similar powers, different secret identity, different setup. And this kept going. So they brought back a version of the Atom, which again, same name, but different powers, different costume, blah, blah, blah. But then in the early 60s, they responded perhaps to sort of the new sort of developed sort of comic fandom. There were still people around who had read the original versions of The Flash and Green Lantern and were sort of agitating to get them brought back. So this, these new versions um, were the guys that became members of the Justice League of America. And this sort of revived Flash and Green Lantern. These guys became known as the Silver Age versions. So what happened in 1961 was that the original version of The Flash was brought back and teamed up with the new Flash in issue 123 of The Flash in a very famous story called The Flash of Two Worlds. And that's basically the, the sort of starting point for the podcast that Peter and I are doing. 
we thought we talked about it in a vague sense years ago about doing a, a podcast that dealt with this sort of stuff, this sort of crossover between the original superheroes and then the new versions of them. Peter and I talked about doing this for a very long time. We talked about it in a vague sense years ago about doing something to do with the, the revived Golden Age superheroes. And then, you know, it was actually prompted by what we were doing on The Power of Three and chatting to Pete. And Pete was also doing the, the podcast for the shop. Tom will get a word in here at, at some point. People don't worry. And we just thought, right, shall we just do it? And the original plan was just going to be all the stories that involved the returning Golden Age superheroes coming back. But then the reason, the way that they sell or the way that they sold the Golden Age superheroes coming back was that they existed on a parallel earth to the, to the new revived current Silver Age heroes. And the whole Earth 2 aspect comes from the fact that the the Earth that the Golden Age characters, like the original Flash and the original Green Lantern and Doctor Fate and our Man and Sandman, they are all they were all designated to live on Earth Two. So our podcast is named after the Earth that the original Golden Age guys live on. But quite early on in the sort of preparation, Peter had the idea that we could actually try and chart the entire DC Comics multiverse, as it were, because basically. DC Comics' use of parallel universes and stuff to bring in other superheroes over the years, it got quite bloated. So in 1985, they published a series called Crisis on Infinite Earths, which you may have heard of, Tom. I'm not I, sure. have, I have indeed yeah. heard of it. And that basically did away with it all. Wiped out all these parallel universes and rebooted the whole thing and brought everything into one universe. So we have, an, we have a sort of fixed endpoint, which will be the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which that's published. So we're trying to do... What we're, what we're doing is... All the parallel Earth stories, stories that deal with the revived Golden Age characters, but we've also kind of, even as we've been going along, sort of broadening it now to include stories that deal with other dimensions, heroes meeting other versions of themselves, and an aspect that's quite common to DC, which is which is the legacy aspect, which is where there have been many, many different Green Lanterns and many, many different Flashes, but there's also a lot of other names that have been reused. So character names like the Huntress, the Tarantula, the Crimson Avenger, Starman. We're doing, we're doing some deep dives on characters that share these names that are quite well known. So characters that use these names that aren't as well known. So it's, it's ended up being a little broader than we initially planned, but it's been much more interesting as a result. Let me ask you a question, now that you've let me get a word in edgeways. <laughs> I was a Marvel boy. My comic of choice when I was growing up was Marvel Comics, uh, and I, I I I did buy occasional DC comics, but they always struck me as just a wee bit. Basically, if you were a if if you were a DC superhero, you wore a cape, and if you're a Marvel superhero, you had domestic problems. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. And <laughs> and I couldn't really relate to the DC ones because like, there was far too many characters called something lad for a start. Yeah. And lad just didn't, just sat uneasily with me. But there are obviously parallels. And, and basically the, the Earth 2 podcast is, it's looking at the DC output across different alternative universes. That's essentially it, isn't it? Well, more or less, yeah. And Marvel did something similar with Earth X and everything. But yeah. you see, here's my criticism. My other criticism of DC is that I remember one of the first Superman comics that I read, not when I was really young, but when I was a teenager and I was collecting comics, they went to great length in one story in Superman to explain why dressing up as Clark Kent people couldn't work out that it was Superman. Because it's, a, it's you know, I remember when the, when the film came out in 78, 
my parents yeah. saying, oh, how come they can't recognize that that's Clark Kent? And I was saying, so you believe a man can fly and go faster than time and see through <laughs> objects, but you can't believe that he can disguise himself as a, as a newspaper reporter. But it was always a criticism. So, so DC went to the length of writing a whole story suggesting that the glass from his original Kryptonian spaceship had been yeah. used in his own glasses yeah. and therefore that kind of subliminally hypnotised yeah. people into believing that he was older than he actually was. What a load of shite. I mean, why yeah. go... What, that's the thing with DC. They go to all these lengths to have continuity and, and instead yeah. of making it more believable, they just make it more contrived. No, so, that's true. I mean, we talk about that sort of stuff. I mean, the comic is the important thing. We treat it... We treat each one that we cover sort of in the context of its time. We did a Lois Lane story a few months ago. It was pretty horrendous. Peter didn't want to do it at all, and we kind of had to be careful what we said because it sort of involved Lois Lane and Lana Lang sort of trying to condition Superman who'd been de-aged into a baby into falling in love with them. Oh, no. So that when he turned to an adult, he would marry them. So, we, and, you know... <laughs> We, we we talk about this sort of thing how you know the message this was sort of sending to, to young girls was that who was who was actually writing these sort of comics what did they think yeah, I mean yeah, you yeah. think about it secret identities are are utterly unbelievable they're impossible you know yeah. for example say I'd been a superhero the whole time I was working in HMV wouldn't be surprised and, you know well you know I was sort of and you think you know you hear about a terrorist attack that's taking place in London and it's like well I wouldn't be able to do anything about it because it would be my I, my my time to go in the till. You know, it's just, it's, just, it's just not practical. So one of the things that we, talk, we have talked about with the Lois Lane stories is so many of the Lois Lane stories, and we've only done a few because there's only been a couple that we've, we've covered that have involved Lois going to parallel universes. But, you know, there's so much of the, sto or the stories were just about Lois trying to figure out or trying to prove that Clark Kent was Superman. Mm. And when you just sort of think, well, why did she even think about that in the first place? You know, shoot, what made... The idea of secret identities, a superhero should never even drop hints that it has a secret identity, because otherwise, you know, I always think about Spider-Man swinging home and going in the, his rooftop window, you know, in his apartment in New York, and you sort of think, oh, you need just one neighbour just to be looking out the window of another building at the right time. Yeah, it falls apart, I mean, but it's, it's an interesting point you make, because the, the approach, the fun, there's some fundamental approaches to storytelling that Marvel and DC did very differently. And, and we've, we talk about this, uh, you know, Marvel, almost from the word go, as you say, made their characters a bit more relatable and believable by having, you know, as you say, domestic problems. Whereas DC were still a little bit more, and we've used this word, disposable. They didn't have that same sort of, you know, way or realistic sort of, you know, approach to, to what they do with the stories. But they kind of did eventually. And the really interesting thing that we've sort of found is that DC didn't really have a defined sort of consistent house style in the way that Marvel did. You know, Marvel, as you say, they were it was all very straightforward. One universe, everything was together, whereas DC was kind of all over the place. And, you know, you have different editors' approaches to the different characters, and we're kind of noting all these differences as, as, we, as we sort of go along. As I say, I mean, you, yours is a very good podcast, I have to say, first of all. You know, if, if, if you are interested in that kind of comic history, which I am, then it's definitely worth a listen. But going back to my continual grievance against DC, uh, yeah. it's, it's a trap that Marvel hasn't fallen into very often, occasionally, but, but not very often, is that I think DC sometimes forget that it's made-up comics. And, and because you've got new characters like 
the atom, for example, and you've got the original atom, the new atom. That happened because, as you explained at the beginning, you've got this progress. You've just got events yeah. that caused these comic books to be popular at a particular time and other comic books weren't as popular. That's just the way comics happen. But instead of just accepting that, DC said, oh, right, we've got to bring back the original Atom and we've got to create this whole new universe for him. I remember reading a, an issue of Superboy once and it explained mm -hmm. why Pa and Ma Kent were still alive, even though they first appeared in 1938 as old people <laughs> adopting the baby, the baby uh, Kal-El. And they explained that there was some mysterious chemical that spilled on them and made them live yeah. longer. I thought, they got, they got. Don't, don't waste your time. It's a comic book. Nobody stresses about the fact that if Peter, Parker, if Peter Parker was a high school student in 1967, he's now at least in his late 60s. I mean, who cares? Yeah, this is, this is one of the things that, that the DC Marvel approach has, has kind of differed on because Marvel have always existed in a sort of perpetual sort of present day, certain characters, they've all kind of aged in certain relation to each other, like Human Torch and Peter Parker were sort of contemporaries. But they, even, even there, Marvel have rebooted things along the way. Originally, when Tony Stark was injured, it was during the Korean War. And then later on, it became the Vietnam War. You know, they've always a, a vaguely contemporary sort of sense of the now, so they never had to worry too much about characters ageing the characters from the, 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 from the Justice Society, you know, the original Golden Age superheroes, like the original Flash with the Mercury helmet and Green Lantern mm. and Wild. So, you know, there, there are still stories being published for them now. And these guys are coming up in 100 years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you think about it, when they lived in a parallel off, it was a lot easier to, you know, to get around. You could always just, you know, imagine the stories were set a little bit in the past. But even they got a story when the key players... Got you know were bathed in special radiation which stopped them from aging and the Flash's speed keeps them young. Wildcat has nine <laughs> lives. Green Lantern has a magic ring which keeps them young. All that sort of stuff. You know, there are fundamental approaches that are very different. And one thing that that, that again touches on one sort of aspect that we're sort of covering, which is legacy, which is the fact that DC has many heroes which have they've had the same name but they've been different people and there were whole, the whole time in the 90s when it was a different Flash it was a different Green Arrow it was a different Green Lantern it was a different Batman at one point there were four different Supermen because the originals went around it's interesting the way that they have kind of addressed that in very different ways the two companies maybe you and I should do a Marvel Comics podcast <laughs> yeah maybe maybe Yes, yes. And then we could do another one of these special podcasts, interviewing each other about that as well. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be good. Right. But that, well, I think that kind of, that, that kind of uh, explains everything that's going on. I Is think so. Anything yeah. else you want to add to that? Just that, you know, we're on all the, the platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. And we're on Podbean. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore earth2. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. The Instagram is the Off Two Podcast. Where we post the covers of the comics that we're talking about, and some panels, and all sorts of other contextual content, just to kind of boost the experience. Good. I am. I for one, I'm looking forward to the inaugural issue of DC Comics HMV Lad. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oofed. <laughs> and every single episode is the same thing. Something terrible happens further away. David can't do anything because he's working on the till. And it's cancelled after two issues. 
That'd be amazing. Yes. <laughs> right. Thank you and good night, David. Yeah, fight, Tom. God bless. So, there you have it. Little different this week, listeners. Hope you've enjoyed it. Nice to get behind the curtain with Kenny and see the, the inner workings of, of Vortex. And obviously, Vortex can be found at bigfinish.com. You can also download it and read it on the Big Finish app. And it's completely free and it won't cost you. And I, I'm not even just saying this because Kenny's my pal, but there's some really good content on it. Even if you're not an active Big Finish listener, there's some always good stuff to read from the various Doctor Who people involved. Now, this has been the Power of Three podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. You can check out our Facebook page if you like. And you can look at our website, powerofthreepod.com, where you can find our current and older episodes and obviously some other content as well. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>